Anybody excited to hear the word? I'm excited to preach it. I'm excited to preach it. Thank you so much. I'm excited to preach this word. I feel like my, I don't feel like it. I know my responsibility is to prepare you for what God has for you. Sometimes it can be a dangerous thing to pray for what you're not prepared for. You got to get ready. You got to be ready. You got to be prepared. And so the word of God prepares you for what God has for you. And here's the cool thing. The Bible says, anybody ever heard a really good message or a really good anything before, like a sermon? Anybody? All right. So it says that, that if you're good ground and you hold on to that word and you, you hold on to that word, that that word should produce 30, 60, or 100 times more than what was sown. What that means is there can never be a message that's so good that it doesn't produce more good in your life than how good the sermon was. I wonder if you took once a week, you took one thing from the scriptures once a week, one thing from Sundays, and you kept track of it and you said to yourself, I want this to produce something in my life. You got to have something in your life that was produced by the word of God that you heard. And so I want to encourage you to do that. We're going to jump into a passage of scripture in the Old Testament. Turn your Bibles or, you know, click on your iPhone to 2 Kings 4, verse 1 through 7. We're going in the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Elisha and the widow's oil. Elisha was the successor of Elijah. If you say it fast, it sounds exactly the same, but it's not the same. There was Elijah and Elisha, and Elisha was the successor of Elijah, and he became the successor when he asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. I, I want to point out to you that although I, I am, and my wife and I are the lead pastors of Oasis Church, that didn't come without a significant thing that I asked God for. I asked God for a double portion of Pastor Philip's spirit to lead Oasis. I asked for it three or four years ago, and I can point the moment and point when it happened, and what God did in my life from that moment on is unprecedented. Sometimes we have to be careful that we're not so focused on our own dream, our own vision. There's nothing new under the sun. Like, if you're a dancer in here, study the dancers that came before you and say, I want a double portion of that person. Does that make sense? There's, it's multi-generational. If you're a singer and, like, you don't know, like, Donna Summer, what? And you don't know no Stevie Wonder songs? I'm not saying you got to spend it, but I'm saying God multiplies in one generation what he did in the next. He's not doing something new. He's multiplying something he's always done. And so Elisha was a multiplication of what God had done in Elijah's life. And so we're picking up on one of those miracles that God did in, 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 in verse 1, chapter 4. It says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. That repo man was way different back in the day. You didn't pay your bills. They came and got your kids, not the truck. Can you imagine your credit score get down below 600 and they're like, where's little Johnny? Till you pay that off. You're going to have to give me your kid to work this off. So it was a different time. She said, and Elijah said to her, well, what shall I do for you? I love that. This is a man of God saying, well, what should I do for you? And then uh, tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels, vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels. I could preach right there. Not just any vessel, 
an empty vessel, and not too few. You're going to need a lot for what I'm about to do. We need a lot of vessels for this move of God. I, I, can't, I can't get distracted. I got to keep reading. It says, then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And she said to her, there is not. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. Whew. Wasn't another vessel, so the oil stopped flowing. So she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. I want to preach a message called victims, victors, and vessels. Victims, victors, and, and vessels. I have found in my short time of being a pastor, but in my 42 years of being a human, that we process our life in one of these three areas most of the time. We process our life practically in one of these three areas. We live our lives as a victim, we live our lives as a victor, or we live our lives as a vessel. Spiritually, with God, we do the same thing. We're living our life as a victim, we're living our life as a victor, we're living our life as a vessel. And there is not anything inherently wrong with God connecting with you in one of those three ways. But there is something wrong if you always connect to God that way. I don't want to, you know, in this attempt to, to encourage you to move forward in your relationship with God, to move forward in your identity, I don't want to um, falsely say or not have compassion about there are some victims in the room. There are people in this room where somebody has done something to you. Somebody has abused you. Someone has called you out of your name. Somebody, you know, a business deal went bad and they didn't do what they said they would do. Somebody didn't keep their word. But you got to be careful because Jesus will meet you as a victim, but he never wants you to stay a victim. Please don't let, please don't let what somebody did to you in your past rob you of your future. Can I be honest with you? If somebody stole your shoes, and they were L.A. Gears. That was 1989. They don't even make those anymore. If they don't, if someone took your fat farm jacket and you still mad at them about it, <laughs> come on, man. Somebody, your brother stole your FUBU beanie, you need to let that thing go. You need to let that thing go. It don't even make it anymore and you still mad and you're still upset. And any time you remain a victim from your past, you allow them to rob you of your future. You, you, Jesus wants to turn you and move you away from, from victimhood. Victim just simply represents what is happening to me. What is happening to me? My entire life is about what's happening to me. Did you see what they did to me? Did you see what this church did to me? Do you see what my job did to me? Do you see what my ex did to me? And you got to be really careful with this mentality because you can live that way forever. And you know what most victims do? They build a life to make sure that what happened to them will never happen again. Now, now here's the thing. It's never anyone's purpose to make sure that they're never hurt again. Sometimes you go through a breakup and you're like, I'll never love like that again. Well, I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to play not to lose instead of playing to get the victim. So you live as a victim. I love what the writer of the psalm said in Psalm 119. This is what he said when he was feeling like a victim. He said, my suffering was good for me. It taught me 
to pay attention to God. Come on, and don't when you're going through something, you pay more attention to God? He said, my suffering was good. I can teach you how to be a preacher. You can fill a church with victims. You can fill a church with, I can teach you how to preach right now. You start talking about blessing. How many people in their life are believing for blessing? Make some noise. Now, if you're believing for suffering, make some noise. Yeah, them cheers went down real quick, didn't they? Them cheers went down real quick. But a lot of times the suffering leads to the blessing that you've been praying for. Jesus said, the, the scriptures say this in Romans that these uh, light and momentary, not Romans, but in, in, in 2 Corinthians, light and momentary troubles will lead to a farther outweigh a greater weight of glory. It says that these sufferings you go through now won't be compared to the glory that'll be revealed later. I can tell how much awesome things are going to happen for you by how much you've been through. That's how I can tell. And the enemy wants to make you think that what's happening to you, that that's really your future. I can tell how awesome your future is going to be. Tell me how much pain you've been through. Tell me who rejected you. Tell me who abandoned you. Tell me who wasn't there for you. I can tell what you're going to do great in your life. I can tell by all the bad things that happen what you're going to do if you let God use it. The Bible says that God uses all things for good. Good. And all things means all things. The bad things, the things we wish that we, were, we didn't have to go through. The Bible says that God uses all those things for good to, to bring you from a, from a victim. This is what is happening to me. And then some of us, we can be victors. This is all about what's happening for me. A victor is like, I want victory in my finances and victory in my family. And I'm believing for a husband. I'm believing for a wife. I'm believing for a house. And if I come to church, God, you're going to do all these things for me. God is, and that's a great way to live, by the way, but don't stay there. Because God will give you something and you find out it didn't mean too much to you as you thought. That's one of the worst things in the world is when you believe for something and it, it, it's good and you, it didn't do what you thought it would do. Can I be honest? I was like, I knew that I was going to be the next pastor of Oasis like two or three years before I was. And so then kind of became this thing where I'm like, when that happens, everything is going to be fine. And so then I put all my energy in preparing for that thing. And, you know, I was doing Bible studies and I was praying and I was building the church. And then it happened. And then I'm like, now what? I got the victory. God, you did it. And then I'm starting to feel disconnected to God now, if I'm being honest. And I feel like on vacation, God was speaking to me. I only know how to connect with God in my victimness. I only know how to pray when it's bad. I only know how to cry and weep in the presence when I need something. But when it's going good, like I just, we always say that God showed up. Well, what'd he do, catch an Uber? How do you think he got there? Through you. So I don't know how to connect with God anymore because I think I'm, the, the church is doing pretty good. I mean, we're not perfect. My marriage is good. Where's my wife? Husbands, you better check. Don't you be out here telling people your marriage is good. Look, get aside. My marriage is good. See my eyes dark? Because my husband and wife got two way different perceptions on what's good. We ate. The rent got paid. We doing good. She's like, but I could use some more help around the house. Okay. Well, listen. Jesus will help you. 
Clipper game is on. Don't you know Jesus is watching the Clippers? You know, we try to say a bunch of spiritual stuff. God's using me during this game. You always got to check. But I can spend so much time trying to get the victory. When I get the victory, I don't know how to worship. I don't know how to worship. And then you go in a cycle. This is what's called the victory cycle, where you go and you get yourself in trouble again so you know how to connect with God again. Don't we do that? You know how many times I've seen people do the same thing over and over again? Right? I do the same thing. Right? Some of y'all are not broken. You just don't know how to worship God unless you're broken. I find some of the Holy Spirit, I just, God, I, God, I need you to do something in my life right now. I'm like, dang, man, I haven't even heard you cuss in like six weeks. You all right. <laughs> but like, don't we do that? Like, I'm so broken, God, I need you. Like, even in a really great church service where somebody wasn't crying, never had. Because we, we attach tears with a move of God. This is what about good old-fashioned joy. Sometimes you're doing okay and you got to connect with God and just thank him and just have gratitude. God, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be, so I just feel grateful. I, I, I don't want to be addicted to being broken. And I have to connect to God through victim, not through gratitude, because I actually have the victory. And so once you have a victory in your life where things are going pretty well, you ever that person, they put that testimony video on the screen, and the guy was like, I used to smoke crack all day long. And then one time I was even eating some Lucky Charms, and I just sprinkled crack in the cereal, and it just, just used so many drugs. There was crack everywhere, crack parties. And you're like, I just had a hard time graduating from college. I don't know that I have a testimony that's all dark and deep. Does that mean that God can't use me? And then you start to feel like, I, maybe I'm not. It's, we need to show some testimony videos sometimes of just some people who started a business. I felt like giving up, and I kept doing it, and God blessed the business. It doesn't always have to be a victim testimony. It doesn't always have to be that. Now, here's what I'm saying. Even you and I connect to the victim stories. We connected. We put the testimony. Y'all be bawling your eyeballs out. Nobody wants to hear the story of somebody who just, like, loves somebody. Yeah, I just bought my neighbor a cup of coffee. Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> Show me somebody that's hurting. We actually can connect. And so many times we act broken to get attention. I'm preaching right now, man. I know this is a tough man. I'm preaching right now. You ain't broken. Ain't nothing wrong with you. You just know that dude won't call you back if you don't tell him you're in distress. Don't use your brokenness to get attention. God wants to move you from victim to victors. But if you're like me and you, you, you're not a victim anymore and you're walking in some blessing in your favor, you're like, now what? God's been showing me this on vacation. Victor isn't even a goal. It's to be a vessel. See, see. Victim is what's happening to you. Victor is what's happening for you. A vessel is what's happening through you. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not about you anymore. It's not about what God's doing for you. It's about what God is doing through you. You got to be a vessel. If we're going to reach this city for Jesus, we need some vessels. We need more than just church inviters. We need some vessels. We need people who are carrying the Spirit of God, who Jesus is inside of them. We need vessels, vessels. We, 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 we think that the world doesn't want Jesus, but what if it's not, it's more complicated than that? 
I ordered this pizza last night because I want to show you an illustration. And uh, it's $5 from Little Caesars because I don't want to spend more than that to prove a point. <laughs> I love y'all, but you ain't about to have me buy no $15 pizza just to preach. <laughs> Little Caesars hot and ready. I got it last night, so it ain't hot, but it's ready. <laughs> give you a slice of pizza. Give me a slice of pizza. Who am I going to give this to? Come on, Jakati, good looking. Wait, hold on. Jakati, hold on. Give it up for Jakati. Jakati wants some pizza. Hold on. this in his trash bag real quick. Here you go, brother. Have fun with that. See you soon. What happened? The pizza hasn't changed, but I put it in a different vessel and now he don't want it. See, we're vessels of Jesus, and sometimes people don't want Jesus because the vessel is broken, the vessel is unforgiving, the vessel is selfish, the vessel complains all the time, and they don't want what's in the vessel because the vessel's so jacked up. You see, Jesus does not change. The Bible says, I'm God. I change not. But some people don't want Jesus because he's in a janky vessel. I changed the vessel. They didn't want the pizza. I'm telling you right now, somebody's got to pay attention to their vessel, to their vessel, to their vessel. When, when, when we're, this is Christmas season, and we're celebrating Jesus coming to the earth through the vessel of Mary. Amen. Mary was pregnant with the Lord and Savior. Can you imagine Mary walking around pregnant with the Lord and, and Savior, a vessel of the Son of God? I don't know about you, but if you were a drug, if you, had, if you were on drugs, you could hold the baby, although I don't recommend it. If you were drunk, you could hold the baby, although I don't recommend it. The reason why you could hold the baby and it had no effect on the baby is because you're holding the baby while you're drunk, you're holding the baby while you're on drugs, and although it's not wise, it doesn't affect the baby because you're holding the baby. But if you were pregnant with that baby, then everything that you did would affect the pregnancy the pregnancy and therefore the birth. Somebody in here is pregnant with purpose, pregnant with a promise, pregnant with an outpouring, pregnant with revival, pregnant with promotion, pregnant with favor, and everything you're doing in this season is affecting what you're pregnant with. I don't want you to have a promise with a defect. I don't want you to have a purpose with a defect. What you do when you're pregnant affects what you birth. What if over the next nine months you just say, hey, listen, I'm going to have to set that weed aside. I'm going to have to set this sex aside because I'm pregnant with something. God's doing something awesome in my life. And what I do in this season, I'm pregnant with purpose. I'm pregnant with revival. It's so important. It affects what you do. They're the container. You're the container of something so special, so special. This is why the enemy is so strategic, to send people to abuse the vessel. He's so strategic. He sends people to reject the vessel. He sends people to reject the container. This is why Jesus told the disciples, if they reject you, they're rejecting me. I feel rejected too. Don't forget, Jesus died alone. He'll use a church leader. 
He loves to use church leaders to make you feel, oh, I don't mess around with church. He'll use a church leader to hurt your vessel. You understand what I'm saying? I love the fact that Jesus' final miracle before he died was healing the ear of a man named Malchus. Think about this. Jesus healed the ear of a man named Malchus, and Peter cut it off and shouldn't have. Jesus healed somebody a church leader hurt, and Peter didn't lose his calling, and Malchus kept his ear. That's the grace of Jesus. Peter did something he wasn't supposed to do, and it affected somebody else. Malchus kept his ear. Peter kept his calling. This is what happens when you're a vessel. Jesus was such a vessel. Everybody, everybody was blessed by the vessel. Ask yourself the tough question, am I a vessel? Because guess what? Jesus is looking for vessels, but so is the devil. He needs a place to put fear. He needs a place to put insecurity. He needs a place. The devil is looking for a place to put his discouragement. And you are a vessel for, the thing about this is a victim, you, you don't have to be. Like sometimes you might be in a season where nobody is doing anything to you, you don't have to be a victim. Vic, maybe you don't have some battle you're trying to overcome, you're not a victor, but you are always a vessel of something. There's, everybody in here has to be a vessel. So this is not whether you want to be a vessel. This is a sermon about what do you want to be a vessel for. Because if you're not a vessel of faith, you're one of fear. you got to be a vessel for something. And I believe God wants to move the entire church to being vessels. You will come to Oasis Church in five years, and if you're looking for a victim, we'll be fresh out. We ain't got no victims here on the corner of Wilshire and Normandy. We're not about what anybody did to us. If you're looking for a victim, you got to go to another spot because the only people here are vessels of the living God, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, vessels of faith, vessels of hope, vessels of peace. I'm not going to be a vessel of anxiety not one more day. I'm not a victim from what happened to me. This is about what's happening through me. You look at this powerful passage of Scripture in 2 Kings 4 and what actually happened, it's crazy. Simple, small story, but yet quite profound. It says, now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, your servant, my husband, is dead. If you want to be a vessel, you got to be in a situation where God can do a miracle. Some of you have never experienced a miracle because you never allow God to put you in a position where you need one. You know what sucks about needing a miracle? You need one. <laughs> like you think you want a miracle, but you don't. Anybody want a miracle in their finances? No, you don't. I want to make sure that my budget line, that's why, oh, I'm going to give this much because if I give more, if I give to the Outcast Academy, I'm going to need a miracle. If I give to Oasis so they can bless out, I'm going to need a miracle. So let me just stop short of what? Think about it. Miracle, you got to be on the edge. If you want to be generous, you got to be on the edge. This is your heel is on the 31st, your toes are on the 1st when the rent is due. You on the edge. <laughs> you on the edge with your generosity. <laughs> Come on, half your foot in January. Right? Because you, 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 if you do what God's telling you, you're going to need a miracle. And we don't want a miracle. Like, I, I cannot be a part of a church that there's no miracles. I can't. I can't do it, because that means I'm just going to, I'm, 
I, I, I might just go back to my old self so I could be just relive my salvation over. I don't know. But we got to have a church that's believing for miracles. And here's the thing. She was in a situation that only God. This is not, I know you're believing for a roommate, but I'm sure you could talk to somebody and they could help you find a roommate. I'm not saying don't believe for a roommate. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, can you try in this next season to believe for something that nobody could do but God? Can it? I know the Lord, my wife has parking favor, but if you drive around long enough, you're going to find something at the Grove. Can you use your faith for something that only God could do? If you're going to be a vessel, I want you to write this down. You got to know God does only what I can. Somebody, sometimes we say it was all God. No, it wasn't. It was you. You know when it says do not take God's name in vain? That doesn't just mean cussing and saying Jesus. That doesn't mean just that. That is taking God's name in vain. But you know the real Hebrew definition is don't attach God's name to something that's not him. So we take God's name in vain all the time when we live our life without faith and say, man, God did it. No, it didn't. He's you. You controlled it. You manipulated it. You made it happen. Don't. And it's hard to live your life this way. It's hard to live your life this way. You want to know the hardest part about being a pastor? When I do something good, people say, praise God. When something goes wrong, I get an email. <laughs> am, I, am I lying? I probably got an email right now for what I just said. Somebody's typing it up. <laughs> oh, you're going to get an email. God does only what you can. Are you willing to live your life on the edge of glory and ask God to do something that only he could do? Like, I don't, that only he could do. I've been thinking about, about our staff and our church. We, sometimes we can do a lot of stuff that we can do. And we're not willing to do anything outside of the impossible because if God doesn't do it, then we, we're afraid of failure. And God will wait sometimes until you get to the edge and you're like the 11th hour, and you're like, okay, God, if you don't come through, this is all going to die. Right? Yeah. And he loves to like sometimes just, do you trust me? Yeah. And you're like, God, I prayed back here. Like, why are you making me keep taking this step? I prayed back here. I prayed when I got scared. Right? And he's saying, no, 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 no. I, not only can I only do what you, you can't do, he, he goes like this. And then imagine when you, you get to the point where you don't even have any strength to give. You don't even have, you used to pray about it five hours. Now you're like, in Jesus' name, will you help me? I don't got nothing else. <laughs> the prophet asked her, well, go see what you have in the house. She is talking to the most, arguably the most anointed prophet in all of the New Testament. And he's asking her what she has. You pray to the God of the universe, and God has the audacity to ask you what you have. God, have you seen my life? And she responds with something interesting. She says, I have nothing except a small jar. Wait a minute. That doesn't even make sense. Either you have nothing or you have something. That doesn't make sense. She said, I have nothing except a jar of oil. So she's saying, she's putting what she has in two categories. Okay, I have nothing, but I do got this little thing over right? Come on, I got nothing. I mean, I can, I, can, I can sing a little bit, right? I got nothing. I got a little bit of money. No, you have, you have something. You have something to give. You know how many miracles Jesus did in the Bible? 
The Bible says that you could not record how many that he did. Do you know how many he did after he was resurrected? I mean, hardly anything. There's like one time where he like multiplied some fish, but didn't really say it. Jesus multiplied. He told him, but why? Because he wasn't the vessel anymore. You were. So the miracles are going down not because God is doing nothing. The miracles going down because you think you have nothing. And you won't give God your accept. Do you think, you understand what I'm saying? She says, I got a small jar. And God used it. So if you want to be a vessel, you got to understand God does only what you can't. He needs only what you have. He says, go outside and borrow vessels. I want you to imagine this. She might have, some, some Bible scholars believe that all she had was a flask of oil. Now, this ain't a jar. Like, it was like this. And you imagine her going outside. He says, I want you to go outside, and I want you to borrow vessels from your neighbors. We talk about community till we're blue in the face. I meet so many people that come to church every once in a while, and they don't go to Girl Track, and they don't get in connect groups. And here's the dangerous thing. You're going to be in a situation where you need to borrow something. You ever had to borrow somebody's faith because your prayers didn't happen? You're going to have to borrow. I borrowed somebody's faith. The Bible says that Jesus borrowed a tomb. Borrowed a tomb. You know why he borrowed a tomb? Because what's the point of buying something that you only need for three days? But it doesn't say he borrowed you. He borrowed a tomb for his dead body, but the Bible doesn't say he borrowed you. The tomb was a vessel for his dead body, and he borrowed it, but he didn't borrow you. Because you're not a vessel of his spirit. He says, it says he bought you. He, he shed his blood and purchased you. Why? Because you're not a three-day project. He's going to have you for eternity, and you'll be a vessel of his favor, a vessel of faith, a vessel of hope, a vessel of peace, and a vessel for the miraculous for all of eternity. So he didn't borrow you. He bought you. You've got to learn to give God what you have. Sometimes we're so exhausted, we ask God for strength instead of saying, this is what I got. And God sent me to tell somebody that you have learned addition, but you need to understand multiplication. Because addition is when you're a victor. God, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Multiplication is when you give what you have. The five loaves and the two fish, they said they almost sent people away. But the Bible says, as they gave it, it multiplied. This scripture says, as she poured the oil. Sometimes in offerings, people don't give, or sometimes they don't buy their friends a birthday. And I get it, maybe you don't. But sometimes you feel so poor, you don't pour. And so then you don't get it multiplied in your life because she was poor, and God asked her to pour, but she was, could have said, I'm poor. He said, poor, I know you're poor, but poor. I know you feel poor, but poor. And let me multiply, not your poverty, but your pouring. This is what I got. And God multiplied it. God, God multiplied it. And, and get this, it said that when she asked for another vessel, the son said, I have no more, and the oil stopped. Some people come up to me sometimes and like, 
you know, there's been seasons in, 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 in this church where people felt like the spirit wasn't really present like it used to be. And, and um, you know, this church doesn't feed me the way I thought it would be. You know what happened? You know what happened? The oil stopped flowing. We ran out of vessels. We had 600 volunteers and the oil, and we had people giving. And you know, there's 3,000 people who come to this church and say this church is their home, and there are not that many vessels. So one day you're going to feel, if you're not careful, you're going to feel the spirit lift off of what God is doing here. And it's not my fault. I'm not going to run around and, and, and kill myself. We've ran out of vessels. And so this is a message that the oil will not stop flowing in our church for generations because we have vessels that are adults. We have vessels that are youth. We got my son's back there. He just, he's turning five on Tuesday. My daughter's back there. Your kids are back there. That ain't babysitting. Those are vessels in the making. They're vessels right now. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're raising up vessels. There is two, 300 vessels back there being raised up. So you come to this church 20 years from now, and you might find some victims. You might find some victors, but you're going to find a whole lot of vessels. Somebody shout to God if you want to be made a vessel. If you want to be made a, a vessel, a vessel, the oil cannot stop flowing. The oil cannot stop flowing. We cannot run out of vessels. We welcome the victims, but our church is, is going to struggle when we run out of vessels. And God wants to move you. She, she, she got her vessels filled. And if you want to be a vessel, I want you to write this down. God can only fill what you offer. If you hold on to it, he can't fill it. He can't fill what you hold on to. I, I, I give because I want God to fill it. And I know people say, well, you, you got to look at it. Well, you, know, you know, some people look at the glass half empty. Some people look at the glass half full. I think that's unfair. It's not that simple. Because it depends on how much water the cup started with. Because if it started with a full cup of water and I watched it get taken away, it is half full to me because it used to be full. If it's empty, it's easy to be encouraged because it's like it was empty, now it's half full. But what if it was full, now it's half empty? How much more faith do you have to have? This is a tough thing that I'm saying, but if you would lean into it, oh, it'll bless your life. There's something powerful about being a vessel. I'm a vessel. Ask yourself, am I a vessel at my job? Am I a vessel at my church? Am I a vessel at my school? Am I a vessel? Is God, am I a vessel? I know you want to go all over the world and do something, but are you a vessel in your apartment building? I, man, I'm telling you, my wife is going to preach a powerful sermon. She hasn't preached yet, but she will. But you know what's cool about my wife is you guys don't, the other day, I was, had to leave for a meeting, and I had to leave by 8.15, and Christina was dropping the kids off. She comes in the house, and she's like barely getting there in time at 8.15, and it doesn't take that long to get back from Bailey's school. So I said, what, what man was you with? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> yeah, I'm insecure. I said, who was you with? I checked her phone, and I'm just playing. <laughs> but <laughs> we were like, I was like, where were you? She says, oh, um, I was dropping Bailey off at school, and you remember that neighbor that we had, um, that neighbor? She called me randomly out of the blue and said, our, their da daughters, our daughters go to the same school. Hey, are you at the school? She said, yeah. She was like, she probably haven't talked, what, six, nine months? Maybe you talked to her if not longer? And she called my wife and said, 
I can't get my other son to school on time or my other daughter to school on time. Can you please, are you here? Can you pick her up and drop her off at the school? And my wife picked up somebody else's kid and dropped them off to school. Do you know my wife is always being a vessel? My neighbors, like, Christina's a celebrity in our neighborhood because she's always being a vessel. And sometimes we think being a vessel is a big thing. It's everywhere you go. Am I a vessel in my neighborhood? And I told her, I said, I look up to you so much because sometimes I bypass the small things and I want to be a vessel for something big. And I watch my wife do little things. And here's the thing, you get a big thing, you get a big thing one way, two ways. One, somebody gives you a big thing or you do enough little things till it becomes a big thing. And I, I just respected that because I'm like, babe, you're a vessel. You're, you're a vessel. And so I, wanna, I want you to stand to your feet today. And this is what I want to pray for you. I do believe the Holy Spirit is our comforter. So if you're feeling like a victim today, God will comfort you. But you, you're a vessel. This beautiful scripture in, uh, I lost it, but I'll find it. Psalm 119. Oh, no, I lied. Psalm 92. Verse 10, this is what this psalmist wrote. He says, but you have exalted my horn, like that means you've given me strength, like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. Oil in the Bible represents God's divine ability. One of the worst things that could happen to you next to sin is doing what God asks you to do in your own ability. You need fresh oil. One of the reasons it's not good to eat a bunch of fast food and a bunch of fried foods at fast food restaurants, one of the reasons it's not good is because the, the food is fried in oil. But the reason the food is really unhealthy is because they don't fry it in fresh oil. The oil's old. It's not fresh oil. If it was fresh oil, it'd still probably kill you in 30, 40 years, but old oil will kill you in 20. It's not fresh oil. Interestingly enough, though, food that's not fried in fresh oil tastes better. And you got to be careful with your senses in this season because somebody's trying to do this year's purpose on last year's oil. And it ain't going to work. Somebody's trying to do this week's purpose on last week's oil. If you go to your favorite steak restaurant, it's your anniversary or you're celebrating some special occasion, and, and you go and you order the steak, right? And you go there all the time, and the last time you went there, you didn't really finish it. You weren't, you weren't really hungry, you didn't finish the steak. And this time you go to the restaurant, and you go and you order the steak, and they give you your unfinished steak from the last time you were there. And they say, what's the problem? You ordered the steak, it's your favorite steak. You'd be upset because it's not a fresh steak. You need fresh oil. You need a fresh ability from God fresh oil. See, the, the food you eat that isn't cooked in fresh oil clogs your arteries. The anointing that you allow to get old clogs your spiritual arteries. Your heart is clogged with unforgiveness, clogged with fear, clogged with shame, clogged with guilt, clogged with depression, clogged with hopelessness, and you need fresh oil.